Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. We're going to be reading out of the book of John chapter 8, and uh, we're going to go verse 1 through 11. Please bear with me if I sound a little funny. Um, I actually have ear infections in both ears right now. It's the weirdest thing in the world, I'll tell you. Uh, We've been working on our house, and the old insulation apparently has some sort of fungus in it. And the fungus got in my ear. Both of them at the same time. And so one of my ears is completely deaf right now because they had to put medicine in it. And I've got this cotton ball. And so I I sound really funny in my own head right now. It just sounds weird. Like I'm hearing just myself talk. It's the strangest thing. We were singing and I was like, I don't even know what they're saying. I'm just singing the song. I think I'm I think we're singing. You know, I think I feel it. and so my, my other ear that got medicine for, he was going to do the same to this ear, but then he said he'd be completely deaf. I said, maybe that won't be such a good thing or a bad thing if the kids are messing around, you know. I just won't hear them. Just be silent. But uh, no, it's kind of weird not being able to hear. So if I do sound a little funny or if I stumble on my words, that's why. I'm partially deaf right now. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> And every time my wife talks to me, I'm always like, huh? I can't, I can't hear you. <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> She's like, ugh. Fix your ear already. I'm like, you're not praying hard enough. Got to pray. We're going to read out John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. It says this. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him jesus bent down and wrote his finger on the ground and he said and they continued to ask him he stooped down and said to them let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground but when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Lord, we magnify your name this morning for your word. We thank you that it illuminates us, that it shows us who you are, 
and it shows us our own reflection so that we can become more like you. I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you mold and shape us. I pray that you teach us this morning through your word as we hear from you what you have to say about this story. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, okay. This is one of the most famous stories in all scripture. We hear this story often. We hear a lot of theories about this story because no one knows what Jesus wrote in the ground. How many of you are curious what Jesus wrote in the ground? He wrote two times something different. Everybody tends to think that Jesus began to write their names, (laughs) every single one of them, you know. And then the second time he stepped down and he began to write under their names the list of their sins. I don't know. No one knows. That'd be kind of weird, right? You're standing there. All of a sudden, somebody just writes down your past right there in front of everyone to see. And so the started from the oldest to the youngest, guys started leaving, just dropping their rocks, just dropping their stones, right? Like, what do you think he was writing? No one knows. We will never know until we get to heaven, right? We will never know. That's one of the questions you got to ask Jesus. What did you write to shut them up? Maybe it was a recipe. I don't know. We just don't. We are clueless, so we can't We can't tell you. All we do know is that whatever he wrote was heavy because it convicted them one by one. One by one, they began to walk away from the oldest to the youngest. One by one, they began to recognize, I have no ground to stand on. I have no business judging this woman. This is a very intriguing story. Now, the first thing they brought up was the law of Moses. They brought up this, you know, in the law of Moses, Jesus, you know, because Moses was their forefather. Moses was the guy. Moses was the most important thing to them. You know, the law of Moses. It was very clear. This is what we should do. And they're right. It's there. Because the history of Israel was so absurd that they had to create these laws in order to help them not do certain things that they just let happen all the time. And you see this theme through scripture. You see these moments where the Pharisees will come and they'll throw old scriptures at Jesus. They'll throw old laws at Jesus. They'll, they'll talk about the Sabbath. They'll talk about uh, these stonings. They'll talk about who should be judged and all these things. And they were trying to get him into a trap because in Jewish law, you stoned her. But in Roman law, where they lived, you can't touch her. She didn't commit a crime. So they were hoping they could trap him. Because if he said, no, no, don't do anything to her, then he broke Jewish law and they had grounds to convict him of something. But if he went through and said, fine, go ahead and stone her, because they were in Roman soil, he could have been accused of committing a crime against Rome. They were trying to trap him. But Jesus, too smooth. I call him the smooth operator, you know, just too smooth. He says, oh, you think you're going to get me like that? Let he who has no sin cast the first stone. This is so powerful. I don't know if you've ever been accused of something 
or even if you've ever been caught red-handed. I've been caught red-handed many times in my life. I shared the story on Easter about how I was, you know, stealing from my dad's wallet to buy Ninja Turtle stuff. I mean, I've been caught before doing stupid stuff. I will tell you this story. I'm not proud of it. Kids, don't do this. It'll get you in very much trouble. When I was in high school, no, <laughs> check that, middle school, I was uh, seventh grade. And I thought I was smooth, like the smooth operator, but I wasn't. Somebody at the lunch table was talking about alcohol and how much, you know, alcohol is fun to drink and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's nothing, man. What are y'all talking about? I drink that all the time. You know, I'm trying to be all macho, right? And they said, oh, yeah, I dare you to drink like wine right here. We're at the lunch table at a private Christian school. I said, oh, yeah, well, guess what? I'm going to bring some tomorrow. And I went home and I got, you know, the bottle of wine my parents had that they used for cooking. And I put it in my juice box. You know, the little thermos, you know, the little plastic clear thermos thing. I don't know what I was thinking. I was an idiot. I took it to school. I said, watch this. <laughs> I drank that sucker right there in front of everybody at the lunch table. I thought all was good. You know, they were my friends. They were like, oh, wow. All of a sudden, a couple hours later, I'm getting called to the office. You know where this is going. And the principal, Donald Atkinson, if you're watching, I love you, man. <laughs> I hated that, man. When I was in middle school, I hated that man. I love him now. The ones that were hard on me, I love them now. See, they loved me. They were hard on me because they loved me. And I remember him. He was, I hated going to his class. He was a jerk in every way to me. That's what I thought, right? He was just mean. He had, you know, the hair sticking out of the, the shirt. And we would draw him, you know, the caricature, draw him with the hair. It looked like my beard coming out of his shirt. You know, we were like, put on a tie, please. You know, something like I just didn't like this guy. But he ended up becoming the principal for a year because the other principal quit all of a sudden. So he had to become the principal. He was not meant to be a principal. He's one of those hard teachers. Right. Just <clears throat> stern. You don't get away with absolutely anything. Don't breathe wrong in my class. And there I am getting called down to his temporary office. I'm like, it's got to be you. Right. It's got to be you. You got to be the guy when I mess up, right? And he says, I heard that you brought tequila to school. I was like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Yes, I heard that you brought tequila to school. You were drinking at the lunch table. I was like, no, it was cooking wine. He goes, so you did bring alcohol to school. I was like, you got me. You got me. Because he knew the truth, but he knew how to get it out of me. I was caught red-handed. He told me that day. He said, at the end of this year, you're not coming back. He said, you need, to, you need to think about the direction that you're on. He said, you're not coming back here. Next year, go somewhere else, homeschool, whatever, but you're not coming back here. He told my parents, that's exactly what they did. Eighth grade year, I was homeschooled. 
how my homeschoolers doing today. Okay, got a couple. I was homeschooled for a year. It was torture. You know why? Because I didn't do any school. You know what I did? I worked at my parents' store for a year. That's what I did. I became the stock boy, the errand boy, the unpacker, the load boy, take everything off the van boy. Like, I just did it all. I was 13 years old, realizing, hmm, I should be at school right now. Even though I hated school, I missed it. I was caught. Had nothing to do. I finally went back my freshman year. I had to test back in. I don't know how I passed at all. I just don't. But I made it back in. I got to start over freshman year. And from then on, I was just focused. You know why? Because someone took the time in the middle of my mess up to say, stop it. Just stop. Even if it means you leaving for a while and come back in a year, stop because you're on the wrong path. And you know what the beautiful thing about this is? He didn't sit there and go, why? What are you thinking? What's wrong with you? He, he didn't need to know all that. All he knew was you messed up, you're headed in the wrong direction, and you need to stop. That was the best thing for me absolute best thing for me now today if i run into him i hug that man's neck every single time because i remember later on senior in high school sitting in that man's bible class and he asked a question he said this might sound strange but has anybody accepted the lord recently i raised my hand because as a senior in high school, I had an encounter with God that changed my life. I got saved, dedicated my life to the Lord. And he goes, really? He looked shocked. He was like, you? I said, yes, sir. And I told him the story. And it's in part because of him. Because he didn't let up. Because he was straight with me. You see, there's a difference between someone who's straight with you and an accuser. And that's what was going on here. Jesus wasn't soft on this woman. He said, go and sin no more. Stop it. Move on with your life, but stop doing what you're doing. But in the process, he shut the mouths of her accusers because they have nothing to stand on. Just remember, when people accuse you of things, they have nothing to stand on. Your only hope and trust should be in the arms of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. How do people view your sin? Not their sin, not sin in general. How do people view your sin? If people know the dirt you do, how do they view your sin? You see, it's, it's interesting in this scripture, in this story, it was very clear that they trapped this woman. They were waiting. They probably knew she was habitual adulteress. So they were waiting. Other, other accounts of this story said they caught her in the very act. It's like they were camping out, waiting for her to mess up again so they could bring her before Jesus. Not because they cared about her, but because they wanted to trap him. 
She was just a pawn in this game. And you got to understand that about your own life. You don't really mean anything to the enemy. You're just a pawn to him. But you mean everything to the Lord. And so he's going to use your life to shut the accuser's mouth. And so the enemy wants to mess up your life, not because he cares about your life, but because he's trying to trip up the plan of God. I'm going to keep going here, otherwise I'll get lost in my own little rabbit trails. How do people view your sin? Most people look down on you when they catch you in the act, don't they? That's exactly what this guy, these people did when they caught her. They looked down on her. They brought her before. Most likely this woman was completely naked, fully in front of all these people, surrounded by these men. She's there in her shame, trying to cover herself up. No pity for her whatsoever. No respect for her whatsoever. And they're using her to trip him up. That's how people view your sin. Because they don't really care about it either. They're trying to prove that you don't belong. Right? That's how people view your sin. It's, you know, it's, it's brought in this dirty light. Right? The other question is, how do people respond to your supporters because Jesus obviously was trying to protect her so what did they do because he was trying to protect her they tried to trap him oh so if you do this then we're going to do that and if you don't do this then we're going to do that they were trying to do whatever they could to get him wrapped up into this issue too how do people view or respond to your supporters the other thing is how do people tell you to proceed once you're caught in these things. Most people give you horrible advice. Let's just be honest. Really, the advice is pretty simple. What we should do when we've messed up, what we should do when we've gone down the wrong path. The best advice I ever got was that man telling me, don't come back, try and come back in a year, change. I mean, it was pretty simple. But most people sit there, well, maybe if you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this, maybe if you do this. Look, it's pretty simple. And Jesus did the same thing. Go and sin no more. But most people will respond and tell you all these things and how to proceed. And so in our mind, we think there must be something wrong with me because I need X, Y, and Z to complete a simple task. This woman was caught red-handed. No question. She was a sinner. No question. She was guilty. No question. But how you respond to someone's sin says a lot about you. So then I have a different set of questions. How does Jesus handle your sin? See, this is all I care about. This is all I care about. People come to me all the time. They give me stories. They give me the scenarios and who did what and when. And the list goes on and on and on. But here's the thing about those stories. They're always one-sided. They're always slanted. Every single time. Because everybody always has their view, their perspective of a situation. Right? That's what happened with this story. There was a perspective of the situation. Jesus has a completely different perspective. He's looking at it from a different angle. And so when he sees that someone is trying to accuse you of what you've done wrong and tell you or tell him everything about you and all the stuff you're doing, 
he responds very differently. He covers. He gets in front. Says, oh yeah? Who are you? He turns the tables on the accusers. You got to remember something. You got to remember something very clear. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, none of them are God the accuser. You know, the day that we get judged, like the actual judgment day, the Bible calls it the great white throne judgment where God is sitting on his throne. Jesus is there. Spirit of God is there hovering over everything. And you see this scenario take place in scripture. You know who the person is that is reminding God all about your dirt? It's the devil. It's the devil. He's there. And he is accusing every single person as they're getting judged. You know what the scripture says about all this? The scripture is very clear. The way that God judges us. He burns it. And what's left over is the crown that he places upon your head. As you enter into the kingdom. This is wild to me. Because the only person that's keeping record of your sin is you and the devil. This is very clear in scripture. We talked about it last week. God created an entire ocean called the sea of forgetfulness that he cast your sin into. The only people that are keeping track of this stuff is you and the enemy. And one day the enemy is going to come back and accuse you of every little thing that you've ever done and God is going to burn it all they call him the accuser the enemy is your accuser these people were her enemy they were not there for her they were not there to correct her because correction is about love they were not there to help her grow or get better because that would mean they loved her they didn't love her she was just a ploy for their tactics that is all what God does with us as he covers and he removes and he redeems every single time so how does Jesus respond to your critics how does Jesus respond to your accusers he tells them where they stand If you live long enough, you'll end up with some critics. You'll end up with some accusers. You'll end up with people trying to pull down who you are. And Christ, all he does is puts a mirror in front of their face. And he says, this, this is what you're going to do when you stand in your own guilt. The last question is, how does Jesus tell you to proceed? How does Jesus tell you to move forward? It's very simple. It's what Mr. Donald Atkinson told me in seventh grade. Go and change. Sin no more. Is sin a bad thing? Absolutely. If you don't repent, will you end up in the wrong place? Absolutely. There's a real heaven and a real hell. 
You have to repent. You have to turn your eyes to God. You have to serve him. You have to dedicate your life to him. You have to give your heart to him. But if you're trying to live the the life that you're called to live the best you can, you're still going to mess up. You're still going to sin because we're all imperfect. We're all human, right? The problem is how do we proceed? Do we simply continue on sinning just because we know that God's grace will cover us. No, 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 no. The grace is there to show us how much he loves us so that we can change, so that we can move from glory to glory. We can move from faith to faith. We don't have to stay in this spot that we're in. Go and sin no more. To me, this is the most powerful point. To me, this is the most important point because we don't know what he wrote in the sand, but it doesn't matter. We don't even need to know. All we need to know is what he told the woman. Move on. Get past this. Don't let this hang over your head. I can only imagine the measure of shame that she's feeling. I can only imagine the measure of guilt that is on her face. I can't even begin to to imagine how she must be feeling in front of all these people she was thrown in front of. And shame has a weird way of keeping you down. Shame has a weird way of keeping you silent. That guilt that you carry around has a really weird way of making you believe and think that the best thing to do is to not acknowledge there's a problem. No. It's very clear what Jesus says for us to do, how to proceed. Drop the baggage. Drop the shame. Drop the guilt. You are not your mistakes. You are not your issues. You are not what someone caught you doing. They called this woman the adulterous woman simply because they didn't know her name. But that is not her name. They probably should call me the stealing boy. Or the stupid idiot that drank alcohol at the table lunch boy. I'm sure I have a bunch of names. I'm sure there's plenty of us in this room that would have a bunch of different names. But there's only one name that we have. We are children of God. And that is all that matters. Go and sin no more. You actually have the choice to make. This was clearly a choice that Jesus gave her. Hey, listen, you have an option here. You can either go and continue on in the path that you're in, or you can go and sin no more. It was a clear choice. Later on, we read in scripture that the truth will set you free. And this is so real 
because that's all that Jesus had to do to those accusers was tell them the truth. Hey, I know who you are and I know who you are and I know who you are and I know who you are. All he had to do was tell them the truth. And they begin to walk away one by one. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the struggle is. I don't know what the fight is. I don't know if you're losing a battle right now. But all I can tell you is that you have a choice. Every day you have a choice to go and sin no more. You have a choice to make. Am I going to continue on in this journey the same way until I get dragged before a group of people, a group of accusers? Or am I going to simply take this to heart and move forward with life and drop the shame and drop the guilt? Because that stuff doesn't belong in your life. Jesus went to the cross so you don't have to carry on that shame and guilt no more. He did what he did so that we don't have to live that way. That stuff is too heavy. It's actually prideful to think that we can carry that around and be okay. We can't. It's too big for you. You have one job. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest commandment, Jesus said. Kevin, you can come up. A couple weeks ago, we were doing the series on greater. And what we discovered was so powerful because we realized that the love of God is built in such a way that you cannot separate him from it. He is love. And what we also realized is that because he is love, it is impossible for us to hate our brother or sister if we say we love God. I question these men's motives. I question exactly what they were trying to do because It doesn't sound like they loved her at all, that they cared for her at all. It sounds like they were trying to show her how unworthy she was of redemption. And ultimately, this is the game that the enemy plays on your mind. You might think you're unworthy. You might think you're not good enough. You might think that you are not supposed to be loved but I tell you that's the biggest lie you can believe you are so loved because God is so real and God is here right now to show you that love doesn't matter where you've been the struggles that you faced the accusers that you have he stands there and looks you in the eye and says you have a choice I don't know what became of this woman. I don't know where she ended up. I don't know from this day on if she lived that life or not. But I do know that she had an encounter with her Savior. 
And because of that, I believe she was changed. Let's stand. You can play whenever you're ready, Kevin. Or whenever it lets you. (laughs) Every single one of us has that same choice to either let the shame win, to let the guilt win, or to move on in such a way that we trust God. I remember my day when I had to make that choice. I was ready. I was tired of carrying around that baggage. I knew that I was not in the right place. I knew that I was desperate for change. And because of that, I was willing to just say, God, whatever you want to do. See, I think part of the problem we have is we want God to do things on one condition, right? We have our conditions. No, no, you have to get to the point where no conditions whatsoever. It's just God, whatever you want to do, I'm okay with. And that's what I pray for this morning. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Two things. Number one, if you have yet to call Jesus your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. And number two, if you just simply need to drop the baggage, this is the time to do it. So that first one, I want to make that call right now. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't said yes to him, if he is not your Lord and Savior, this is the time. You cannot wait. You cannot take another day to think about it. Today, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Make a choice. Make a choice to say yes to God. No conditions, no strings attached. Just 100% all in. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to pray for you. I see you. I see you, brother. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for these people. I pray right now for their soul. I pray right now for complete clarity, for wisdom, for understanding in their life. I thank you for the salvation they're experiencing. And Lord, I ask you right now from this day forward that you begin to direct their path, begin to push them in the right place, send the right people into their life. They begin to live a life solely dedicated to you. Let the shame fall off right now. In Jesus' name, we thank you for them. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.